turn to Acts 28. The last chapter, the last verse. We have arrived. And that is actually the title of our sermon today. I have arrived. Uh, we're going to dance a little bit into the narrative, into the history. We're going to unlock and see what's been happening. And where does this whole thing leave us? We've spent the better part of two years traveling with what God has been doing to establish His church. Why did we start this almost two years ago? Because God is doing a work within our church and establishing and leading us, and we want to get it right. We do not want to be something that another church is. We do not want to be what the world says the church should be. We want to be who Christ wants us to be. His bride. Amen? And so we want to return before we have to start making major decisions. We want to return and refresh ourselves and see how did He set it up. And there are some very unique things that happened in this, in this 28 chapter narrative uh, or tome that, that Luke parsed. And then there are some precedent setting things. Today is just boring. It's just boring. It's the end of the whole thing. And Paul finally gets there. And Luke just says, that's it. Have you ever been in a movie or something? He's like, it's building, it's building, it's building. And then they just stop it. You're like, wait, what else happened? You know, here's the beautiful thing. Is it the last two major words that we see that Luke writes and then he just stops abruptly really set us up for what God's asked of His church. So we'll arrive there in about an hour and 15 minutes. Prepare yourselves. This morning, when we think about what does it mean to arrive, I want you to think about two concepts, right? Think about the dictionary. When you're looking up a word, it has these maybe one or two, three different things, whether it's taken as a verb or a noun or, or whatever. And so I want to think of that idea, that concept of having arrived. Let's look at our first thing. That, that if I were to look in a dictionary, maybe an explanation under point one would be reaching a destination. Right? That makes sense. Reaching a destination. The end of a journey or transition. How many of you have traveled somewhere? And you've been on a flight for over 10 hours. 15 hours. Philip and Magda are flying back from Egypt right now. Pray for them. Especially if they're on Egypt Air. Really pray for them. My wife and I had the, the blessed opportunity uh, to actually go to Italy. And I remember when we arrived in Rome. It was just another airport. You're like looking for columns. You're looking for all this thing. You know, this, that, and the other. There's a money exchange place. There's these guys named Giuseppe that that are wanting you to take their taxi. This is pre-Uber, right? And uh, it just was, there's something missing. And I remember the first time as we took a taxi into Rome itself, Rome proper, the first time I saw a ruin, I was like, aha! That's the part out of Gladiator I remember Rome being, right? When you arrive somewhere, how do you define that? 
Some of us, when we arrive after a long flight, it's just this like exhale, right? We've been stuck in the same clothes. We've been stuck on the road. We're tired and it's almost a relief. It's the end of the journey. Is that where we're at today in the passage? Are we at the end? Are we at the end for Paul and what Paul has been doing for the cause of Christ? Maybe the second definition fits into this concept of it being like a a verb, right? Accomplishing a goal, fulfilling a dream, recognition. Right? I just had somebody before service say, how do you know when you got your whole life together? I said, I'll get back to you when I get my whole life together. (laughs) Right? But we often talk about this in terms of, I have what? I've arrived. Remember the day you graduated? Oh, you arrived. Right? You did it. You did all that work. You did all that study. And you graduated. You walked. You got to wear the, the, the black robe with the funky little collar thing. And you got to, you know, walk across a stage. And there's hundreds of people. You can't hear your friends yelling at you. I mean, it's all just pomp and circumstance. There's a band playing. I, whatever. And then you get these great graduation gifts. And guess what they never told you? You have not arrived. You are just starting. You're just starting. So what about Paul? Well, they finally arrive in Rome. Thinking about those two things, this is a great, beautiful picture. It almost looks like it's digitally enhanced, right? Remember those old Cecil B. DeMille movies, right? Where they've colorized it. This is almost like a scene out of uh, The Robe. You remember that old one? The Robe? Yeah? That's actually real. That, that is the Appian Way. And, it, and this is what it looked like. Part of the travels. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And so when we look at this concept of Paul having arrived, I, wanna, I want you to look at this quote. All right? It says, The statement, I have arrived, should be regarded according to new beginnings, not necessarily old accomplishments. For the sake of what we're looking at this morning. We have arrived at the end of Acts. There's nothing more to do, is there? Don't come back next week because we're done. We're finished. I have nothing else to preach. We've arrived. But there's just something so interesting we're going to see happen in the Scripture this morning. So... The statement, I've arrived, should be regarded according to new beginnings, not necessarily old accomplishments. The former keeps us vital and yielding fruit. The latter keeps us on a shelf as a preserved and sealed memory. That's a quote by Helmet Head. It doesn't just say Helmet Head for any reason. It's a quote and the dash just... Anyway, let's move on. Paul arrives in Rome, verses 11 through 13. Let's go there. Let's look, starting in verse 11. It says this, After three months, by the way, I reread this this morning uh, before I got out of bed. I just kind of wanted to read through it. Not study it, not parse it, not break it. I just wanted to hear it. And something came out this morning. Luke is stuck on his Outlook calendar. You'll not find another section where he talks about the extension of days in such a short period of time. So here we have the first one. What do we have? Three days. 
Paul's obsessed with schedule, or uh, Luke's obsessed with schedule here. I don't really know what that means, but sometimes when we think about arriving somewhere, we're just very organized and we've got to get there on time and we're only going to be there for so many periods of days and, and then we're moving to the next thing. It seems like that's the voicing that, that Luke is using here. And so he says, after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods. And some of you have an NIV. Uh, you have the twin gods uh, mentioned there, right? Castor and Pollux. And it says uh, the ship had uh, twin gods as a figurehead, putting in its Syracuse, which was uh, on the tip of Sicily. We stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Petuliae. You see what I'm saying? This guy's got an itinerary. He should run a tourist thing, Luke should. He's just calculating everything. And I, when we break down Scripture, we're saying, why do we need to know this? Why is this important? Because I think sometimes when we're looking at schedule, when you look at your vacation, when you look at your travels, you've got it segmented out according to days, don't you? And so here Luke's looking at the end of the matter. They have arrived. And so he's just kind of calculating how many days did it, you know, this, that, and, and understand he's writing it from looking backwards. But he thinks it's important for the reader to understand, hey, it took three months to wait to get a ship to get out of uh, where they were in Malta. Then they went to uh, Syracuse in Sicily, and then they arrived on the tip of Italy itself in Regium, and then they, with a south wind, moved up the coast of Italy to Petuliae, which was the major port for grain ships from Egypt. So he's just following this pattern. He's giving you this agenda. What's interesting here, I mean, what, what are we going to glean from this? Arrivals, the end of the journey or the beginning? It sounds like Paul, uh, Luke is talking about all these details, how they finished up. That's what it sounds like, but let's, let's look. What really stands out here is, in the previous chapter 27, what does Paul tell 278 individuals on board of a sinking ship? We will all survive. We will all make it. How many of you feel like you're on a sinking ship? And yet, when you understand God's economy, God's promises, His promises hold true. What can you glean from this? I think Luke is taking these details and he's saying, look, every aspect of detailed life is happening again for us. We survived. And even the mundane is important now. Every detail is important. But Luke gets a little sarcastic here. Right? Luke's ironic shot across the bow. Literally. He takes time to mention these two gods, right? Castor and Pollux. Does that ring a bell for any of you? You got those Castor and Pollux posters in your bedroom, right? These two gods were gods of security and safety, two Greek gods of security and safety. And in fact, they were gods that were often on the bow of the ship that were the first ones to protect the ship 
and, and were a sign of security. Now what happened to the previous ship? It didn't make it, and yet what God saved them. And so here, they just finished all surviving. 278, the, the ship is tattered. They all survived, and it's all accredited to Paul's God. God follows through with His promise. They arrive safely, a little wet, but safe. And now they board another ship, and here they are again with, with this group of sailors. And what's right on the front of the ship? Can you not place yourself in those shoes and, and what you have just gone through, what you have just arrived from, you're getting back on a boat, would you not be nervous again? And right on the front of the ship are these two Greek gods. And doesn't it stand in stark comparison that Luke would bring this up? This is such a minute detail. I really truly believe he brings it up for the reader to understand. When God saves you, when God works in a miraculous way, you really need to understand how that affects your life moving forward. So as they're approaching on the dock and they see these two gods on the front of the, the ship carved into the wood to protect the ship, they all know who really has the power to save them, don't they? They remember. It's just a unique way for Luke to make the reference. By the way, these two gods were chosen because of the constellation. They're the two gods that fit into the constellation of Gemini or, or the astrological thing. And so... Uh, the, the, the culture was very focused on that and sometimes we arrive at a point of decision, a point of learning and yet the culture wants to go right back to where it was before into a sense of powerlessness. I want to encourage you, if we have arrived at seeing God work, let's not go back into those false securities. And I think Luke does a great job of pointing this out. Spiritual journeys are not measured I'm sorry, spiritual journeys are measured with our incremental growth. They are measured with our incremental growth. In our spiritual journey, the Lord takes us through incremental growth events. Can you see how this has happened for Paul? Over and over. And not just Paul, but Luke and the others that are traveling with him. What journey are you on? What spiritual journey are we all on? And how are we incrementally growing? And do we get to a point where we say, I've arrived. One of the biggest challenges for our, our children is if they've got a lot of church culture by about third grade, fourth grade, they've heard Jonah and the whale 18 times now. And so they get this sense, again, I know everything I need to know about this story. There's a whale. There's a guy with a bad attitude. There's sailors who are angry. Guy goes into the water. There's a, there's a vine and there's some really mean people and somebody's got a bad attitude. I, I know the whole story. That's where our spiritual journey is always moving in incremental growth. Here's the secret about Scripture. We can learn something from Scripture and then we can go to that same Scripture and learn a deeper concept and principle because that's how the spirit works with the same word of god it never grows old it never grows tired we never arrive at the fullness necessarily of how god can use his message we are constantly and incrementally growing i want to help you with this passage 
in understanding this. Paul himself, while in Rome, while in prison, pens his what are called prison epistles. This is one of them, his, his letter to the Philippians. And what does he say? Think about it in context to what we know is happening. His progress, his, his shipwreck, his appealing to Caesar, and now he's in prison. You're going to hear the rest of the story in just a minute. But he writes this to the Philippians to encourage them, and he says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now. And now here is the part that we all remember. I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Have we arrived? I haven't. I haven't. I mean, I know my family on occasion wants to put me in a preserve jar and just stick me on the shelf and say, you know, at some point maybe that's what we'll do, you know, when I, when I die from too many donuts or whatever it will be that will finally take me out. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll put my ashes in a jar and then stick it on a shelf. At that point, my body will have arrived. Okay? On a shelf somewhere. And then my crazy dog will miss me and he'll knock me all over and eat my ashes off the floor. I, I don't know. Ugh. We didn't need that, right? We did not need that. Philip will back me up. He's seen my crazy dog. Uh, second point today, community arrives in Rome. So Paul arrives in Rome first. Second, community arrives in Rome. Let's look at 14 through 16. So they arrive, they come to the port, and what happens? It says, there we found brothers, meaning believers in Christ, and were invited to stay with them for seven days. There he goes again with the schedule. We were invited to stay with them for seven days. Many of you are aware that we have a, a dear brother in Christ that was part of our church uh, for uh, quite a while, probably three, four years. His name is Mike Karras, and we know him as Motorcycle Mike. And Mike's family had a horrific tragedy this week. And his mom, uh, in her mobile home down in Pacheco, the mobile home caught on fire and she died in that fire. So Mike's coming from out of town. He's got no place. Do you know that every hotel room in this city, I don't care if it's the Dusty Sewer Palms 3000, Every hotel room is taken in this city, Monday through Thursday. It's crazy. And so he and his brother could not find a place to stay. And so we had the privilege of saying, okay, Mike, we just repainted this downstairs room and we think you'll probably die from fumigation, but you're welcome to it. And so this past week was a completely different week than what I thought it was going to look like but a great time to minister to somebody that, that was hurting. Can I just tell you, think about that. And think about what it was like when Paul and Luke and his, uh, his brothers that were traveling with him arrived into this final conclusion of the matter. Multiple years waiting for this moment. And what happened? The brothers came and greeted them and said, you, you can not just stay one day, but we're going to have you stay seven days. How encouraging is that? I think a church has somewhat arrived 
when we practice this kind of love and hospitality. Amen? So, community, the evidence of edification. It's one of our core values, right? To edify. Paul is filled with great courage. He is encouraged. As a matter of fact, let me speak to this. He has the initial group that they stay with and they, they shelter with for seven days. But then uh, the, uh, the centurion gathers them together. I think his name is Julius, if I remember correctly. And they start marching down the Appian Way towards Rome. And on the way is a place called Three Taverns. It's not the one that Frodo was at. Okay, I always picture you know that kind of a scene. But it, it could be somewhat like that. And at Three Taverns, the brothers, the saints from Rome came from there, came from the forum, it says, at, at Appia, or Appian, and, and let's, just, let's just read it. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. Verse 15, and the brothers there, being Rome, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. Paul, the word here, encouraged, we're missing some concept here. Let me help you. You're in an unfamiliar area. You're at the end of a journey. You have waited for this to happen. Your life has been threatened over and over. How is this going to take place? How is this going to play out? And they're already greeted and invited to stay with brothers in Christ for seven days. Now they gotta, they've arrived, but now they've got to hit the road again. And now they're still in journey. They're still in process. And they've left those that were uh, encouraging. And all of a sudden, there is a group that starts coming towards them. And starts coming towards them. And the way that the commentators look at this and relate it, you think about those cavalcades that would come into Rome. It was somewhat like that. That by the time all of these individuals and brothers and sisters in Christ had greeted Paul and his group and the soldiers, it was almost as if there was a cavalcade, a procession, if you will, coming into Rome. Think about how secure you would feel held up by brothers that didn't just wait for you. They came to meet you. They came to meet you. And so literally, the best way to see this, the, the, the Greek word here for courage is thresos, and it means daring boldness. Daring boldness. I struggle going to events where I have to be by myself in a room of a bunch of people I don't know, right? It's, it's, it's something that I just don't, it's like one of those things that really gets under my skin. I start sweating a lot and, and imagining myself fishing on an island somewhere. When my wife is with me, it's a completely different story. I'll talk to anybody and everybody. Pretty much because I don't want her to speak at all. I just want to <laughs> take over the whole conversation. No. When she's with me, it's a completely... That's this idea that Paul has just raised up and he's like, let's do this. Let's do this. We haven't just arrived. I didn't just show up to a port. I'm not at the end of the journey. I've got something new. 
And God brought these brothers and sisters to strengthen me and encourage me. Let's do this. How can we be a church that edifies? How can we be emboldened like that? Why don't we sit with someone new? Why don't we at the meet and greet today Oh, pastor, what are you doing? Why don't we, after the meet and greet, because you'll have an opportunity. You can tune out on my last point all you want. I give you permission, just so we can see application. Why don't we look around and see if there are individuals that are you know, fairly new here. Now, if you're fairly new, you're like, oh my goodness, he's pointing <laughs> me out. It's okay, we're going to have those people give you $10 each. So um, we buy visitors. No, think about it. Think about what just transpired in this story to help us understand what it means to arrive. How can we edify? How can we really practice this? Every American church I know is so good at carving out their space to sit and sitting with their friends. I am completely bewildered and flummoxed. That's right, your pastor just used the word flummoxed. It's Old English. Because Brad and Nancy are sitting over here today, I am completely thrown off because they always sit over there. And some of you just love the warmth of the sun coming through. And so you're like, where it's warm, I'll sit where it's warm. It's not your fault. We're conditioned this way. But we could make a difference. We could edify Sit with someone new. Invite a new arrival to lunch. How many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you, when you're new here, someone took you out to lunch or invited you to their house somewhere within a, a decent span of time of being here? This is who we need to be as the church. This is who we need to be as the church. Alright? Greet them in the parking lot. Really scare them. The second they get out of their car, just come up, everybody wear hoods, and, and just greet them, right? You know, slap a name tag on them that's not even their name, and just say, welcome to the family. Here's the secret handshake, right? But seriously, your leadership went to a church that, that does, is currently doing what we're moving into. We were met by at least three greeters before we ever reached the building. We're gonna, I'm gonna, we were supposed to have a deacons meeting this month. I'm going to lay it out to the deacons right now because we, we weren't able to have a deacon meeting. That whole row of trees, including my parking spot, turn it into visitor parking. Amen? Do it. And get it done within the month. Before we hit Christmas. Nelson, you do it. <laughs> it's on you, brother. Provide the good seats. You guys are doing great at that. You do a great job at it every Sunday. <laughs> you give up the good seats every single week. It's fantastic. This group right here, I don't know about them. They're just, they're never going to move. But you do a great job. The good seats. I don't know which ones are the good seats in here, but the good seats. You know what I mean by that. James talks about it. And I don't know what the last point is. I can't see it. I think it says pray with them, encourage them. We're still working through some, some uh, stuff there, and, and it's, getting, it's getting great. That stuff looks so good. And so thank you to the media team that's doing a great job there. 
Last point, controversy arrives in Rome, verses 17 through 31. Now, I'm not going to read this whole thing. I'm going to break it down for you, and then we'll read the end. So Paul arrives, and he takes three days, not three months. I, I said three days earlier. It was three months for them to, to shelter in Malta. Now he's in Rome. He has his own private place that he's paying for, or others who love him and are caring for him or helping provide for him. It is a house. It is an establishment, and there is a guard watching over him he's given access anybody who desires to meet with him can meet with him and by the way many of us went i think it was last spring share was it last spring you organized that trip to go see the apostle paul movie um i encourage you get that movie watch it it's an excellent excellent movie and it's all from the perspective of luke himself it's a great great movie to watch in context to finishing this up but what Paul does is he brings controversy. He's there for three days. He gives himself three days. And somewhere, I think, in that span, he realizes, I don't think I'm going to Caesar anytime soon. We're back to hurry up and wait. So what does he do? He goes right back to what he knows. He goes right back to what God has designed him to do. He does not waste time because he knows the time is short. He knows that he has not arrived at his final destination. This is just a transition of a new place for him to share what God has given him. So what's he do? He starts in with controversy all over again. And he writes a letter to the local Jewish authorities. He says, hey, you might not know me, but my name's Paul. And uh, by the way, did any of your friends over you know, in Palestine mention me? Just checking to see... Is there a, a, a bounty on my head? Am I on your top list of guys to get killed around here? And the short of it is, they come to him and they say, well, no, we don't know anything about this. We've not heard anything. Now let me ask a question. How is it that there would be believers in Rome already? And, and how is it we look at this extension of, of thinking about the epistle to the Roman church? Paul wrote this when he was in Corinth earlier. The church has already existed in Rome. Not, Paul's not here to establish the church. It's already there. That's the evidence of those that came out to meet him. They already know him because he's already written that letter when he was in Corinth. But now while he's in prison in Rome, he writes those prison letters, Ephesians, Philippians. He writes some personal letters, um, uh, Philemon, and so on and so forth. And so he's busy writing and, and never stopping. He hasn't said, I've arrived, I'm done, I'm finished, I'm into retirement. The R word. In America, retirement gives us the freedom to do what? Whatever we want! Thank God Paul didn't go into retirement. He started the controversy all over again. And so he invites him, and that's where I want to take you to in closing. So it says, starting in verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them. These are the Jews that he contacted, testifying to the kingdom of God and, to, and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved and disagreed amongst themselves. They departed after Paul had made one statement. Here he goes. He just can't keep himself quiet. So he sees it after, after days of having these conversations. 
Some are actually starting to believe, and the way that the, the Greek reads here is it, it, it's not a hard believe. Remember I told you we're in spiritual journeys. And there's a process to how God brings us into faith. This, it, it says they were convinced, but it's, it, it is, uh, it's a soft, right? It's a soft cell. So they're in process of learning, of belief. The faith had started to open up. The faith had started. But then there was a whole other group that says, you're nuts. We're not, we're not buying into this. Isn't that amazing how that always happens? It always happens. And so Paul is concerned about those who said enough is enough, we're out of here. And Paul just goes for broke. He says the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. By the way, Paul gives affirmation to the writing of the Scriptures here. Do you see that? If you ever wondered about the Old Testament, its relevance and, and how that came about, Paul says the Holy Spirit inspired Isaiah to write these words, oh, and about you. And Isaiah the prophet says this, verse 26, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart have grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. Do you feel like that some days? When you're trying to share the love of Christ with people? And yet each of you break all probabilities of what Isaiah is saying. Actually, I don't know that. Each of you who have professed faith in Jesus Christ break that probability and prophecy of Isaiah. The Lord has opened your ears so that you can hear. The Lord has opened your eyes so that you can see to His praise and His glory. Amen? In that sense, you've arrived. You have arrived. In closing... If you were given two years somewhere, what would you do? I can see myself in certain parts of the world and not given two years. This is why this point shows up on the screen. You know, I could just see myself go, hmm. Let's see, where would I start? Probably wouldn't start by calling as many of the town council together, inviting them over to my house and saying, let me tell you about Jesus. I should but that probably wouldn't be where I start. That's where Paul started. He's right back to what God has called him to. He never lost sight of what God's called him to, regardless of his new location. So I encourage you, make a decision. Paul waits three days and then digs in with what he knows and what he's called to do. Three days he gave himself to recover from his trip, get over boat lag, right? There will always be the familiar work of the Gospel regardless of promotion or demotion. Sometimes we just shut down. Sometimes we experience a promotion and we say, I've arrived. What have you arrived to? Because if you left your calling up on a shelf... I don't know what you've arrived to. You've made an accomplishment, but I think most people in this room today will tell you that those accomplishments are fleeting. It's not that they're not worthwhile, but that they happen for a moment. For Paul, he's like, okay, I got here. Three days, got it. Let's dig back in. Let's go back to what I'm called to do. That's his rock. 
That's his center, however we want to say it. What is yours? What has God called you to do, regardless of your circumstances? And maybe a promotion has got you off kilter. Maybe a demotion has got you off kilter. Wouldn't it be great, the person who asked me this question, how do you, how do you know if you've arrived in life? I'm not saying that right, but it was something like that. And my, my sage advice was when promotion or demotion do not affect your ability to live out as Christ has called you. That's it. We arrive with boldness without hindrance. These are the last words in Acts. Are you ready? We've arrived. Let me read them to you. By the way, he goes on and, and, and continues in this quote with Isaiah, uh, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them, which was a promise by the Lord. So Luke goes on and he, he just stops. He just abruptly stops. And I think there's a reason for this because I think there was a demarcation. This isn't the end for Paul, by the way. History tells us that he went on a fourth missionary journey and uh, did much work after this. He's released after two years and he goes back out and continues on. Now, whether or not God wanted that to be part of what he put in the Bible, remember Luke is writing this after the fact. And so somehow in this moment, he sees the arrival at Rome. That's the end of this story. This is what you need to know about this. We have arrived at what God wanted me to share with you about His bride coming to life. And yet, look at what words the Holy Spirit inspires Luke to say as we have arrived at the end of Acts. Look at where Luke takes us. And it says that he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. With all boldness and without hindrance. Brothers and sisters, I think that's a statement, a capstone statement on the book of Acts. If we've studied the blossoming, the genesis, the rooting and establishment of the church, the bride of Christ, and we see the Lord's expectation on His bride, and we choose to do this so that we can learn how we will live. Can we take these last two words to heart? And can we live with boldness and without hindrance? Because what the Lord promises, and here is what I want to share with you after two years, what the Lord promises, He did. Therefore, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to Rome. End of story. Jesus' last words and the fulfillment of that prophecy and that desire in the known world at that time culminated by reaching Rome. And that's why I think Luke stops. And he says, Paul continued with boldness and without hindrance. May that be said of this church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray over our time this morning. And then as 
we move forward in that, I want to pray over this idea of our boldness and our faith. And in moving forward, if there is something that you need prayer for specifically, maybe this morning it's saying, I have not arrived in my spiritual journey. I have yet to place my faith in Jesus Christ. I don't fully get it. I'm, I'm those guys on the other side of the room. They kind of left, ticked off. But maybe there's something inside of me that says, maybe I want to be the guys that stayed. Maybe there's something about Jesus that's so attractive and goes so far beyond what the world is offering me. I want to stay. And I want to pursue that faith. In an incremental level, that's the biggest step you can take. My arms don't go that long. But for those of us that have made that choice and been blessed by it, we move in incremental steps. And we keep arriving. And we keep arriving. And we keep arriving. I'm going to pray for you in that context this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we come to You knowing and understanding the beauty of how You have established Your church. And what a beautiful message to know that Your Son, as He was leaving, His last words were to take the message of the Gospel, to be witnesses all around with boldness and without hindrance. And Lord, we have spent the better part of almost two years now looking at this story, this this demonstration of history and fact of how the church proliferated because of boldness, and it did so without hindrance. And that the kingdom has grown. And that on that day, we will arrive in heaven, culminated with a celebration. That we can work to that, Father. That we can with boldness and without hindrance move towards seeing that kingdom be experienced by all those around us according to Your will and Your nature. Lord, I pray that Your Spirit would work even now. That if, if in the span of this message, in the span of Your words coming through, in the span of looking into a story or a movie in our own minds of, of something that really truly happened and how it came about miraculously and Your fingerprints in it and love and the demonstration of of the miraculous happening over and over for your people and their devotion to follow something worthwhile. That when you give promises, you fulfill promises, God. You are worthy of our devotion and our faith. Father, this morning I see myself as Paul gathered in a room and having invited people to come listen. And as people have heard this, maybe there are those here this morning that They desire to stay a while. Maybe they have arrived at the threshold of the beginning of a spiritual journey. Father, I pray for those individuals now that You make a very clear understanding within their heart as to what they would want to seek. Is it You and Your truth and Your love and Your promises and Your eternal life? Or is it what this broken world has to offer. Lord, walk with us, those that have arrived in that state already, 
And yet we need the encouragement. We need to know what the next step is. We need to walk in a worthy manner. We need to know that He who began that good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Speak through Your Holy Spirit to each person here today. Raise our hearts as one. And for those this morning that seek You in the, in the level of wanting to have arrived into relationship, press upon their heart that desire and, and let them share with someone. Let them go before You. Do the introductions, God. We commit all these things according to Your glory and by the name of Jesus Christ. And with all boldness and without hindrance, according to the Holy Spirit. Amen.